2020 has been a special year, hasn't it? Uh, it is a year that keeps on giving, is maybe the best way to say it. Unfortunately, it is not a year that's over yet. Personally, I haven't gotten very excited about a lot of things this year like I used to, um, partially because there's just not a lot happening. But then if something is happening and you participate in that thing that's happening, that you always have in the back of your head that there's a little risk because of the pandemic involved with what you're doing, which kind of takes a little bit of the fun out of it. And so it's been, I think for most of us, kind of a, a bit more of a downer year than normal. And in the midst of that, I have seen some pretty good memes or pictures that have embodied 2020. And so I wanted to share a couple of with couple of those with you now. Um, the first one is the change in airport attire. It used to be in 2019, you'd look like this, go into the airport, a very light cash. And now you're going more hazmat pandemic style. So a bit of a difference difference there. Uh, this next picture is uh, only what we can imagine will happen in the next few months of 2019. Uh, here's the asteroid. I'm sorry, were you next? And the UFO saying, oh no, after you. This is uh, if a time traveler came, the time traveler says, what year is it? I say 2020 and time traveler says, or my personal favorite, really like this one. We got the sham wow guy here, which says every second of 2020, but wait, there's more. I don't know about you. In fact, I'd kind of like to just take a quick poll, even though I can't see your answers. So just humor me and raise your hand, even if you're outdoor and it could embarrass you or you're watching somewhere and people are going to, why is that dude or lady raising their hand? Just participate regardless. Okay, quick poll. How many of you started 2020 and expected toilet paper shortages? Anybody? Like you went in thinking, this is the year I got to stock up on the old TP. How many of you started 2020 expecting that a group of people would get together and try to raid Area 51? How many of you went into 2020 expecting the Tiger King? Not me, I can tell you that much. How many of you expected giant murderous hornets killing bees? How many of you expected two hurricanes possibly in the Gulf of Mexico? And the latest windstorm that we all just went through here, if you live in kind of central east Iowa, wild hurricane force winds like Hurricane 2 I saw, maybe even Category 3 hurricanes, just mind-blowing. There was this uh, really good video that somebody got. I don't know if they just, they just had enough awareness to know that I got to get this on camera, but essentially here's how the video starts. This is in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and they uh, set up a camera in their living room window shooting out into their neighborhood, as you can see. Peaceful, nice, awesome 20 minutes later, and I am not exaggerating, 20 minutes later, this is what it looked like. Crazy, right? Let's back that up so we can fully appreciate what just happened. Tree, trees, trees, 20, sec 20 minutes later, wipe out. Crazy. This year, at least for me, I know there's certainly been points where it's almost felt so unreal you had to kind of laugh and not like a happy laugh, kind of more like a <laughs> sad laugh. It's depressing, isn't it? A little bit. It is wearing on you. You kind of just sit in the back of your head thinking, what's next? What could be crazier than the year we've had 
so far. And then you take that, which has kind of happened to all of us or many of us, and you pair that with what just happens in life normally or because of everything that's happening, and it becomes a lot. I mean, a lot of us are still trying to navigate family life in the middle of all of this. Some of us are really trying to figure out what is my next job or career step? What, what is life going to look like if this job market continues as it does? Or maybe all of that's happening is really messed with your industry as a whole and made it really challenging to continue working in the same ways that you always have. I know that's certainly true for the church. Maybe it's messed with your faith because what kind of God would let things like this happen? Fantastic question. Maybe you're, you're getting your kids off to college and you're thinking to yourself, but for how long? Maybe you have current health challenges that have only been compounded by the mass health challenges that we've all been uh, dealing with. Maybe you spend time with friends and family because you just need that to kind of stay sane. But you're also thinking to yourself, is this too risky? Is this the wrong thing to do? And all of us, many of us, have experienced what it feels like to be out of power. Some of us for, for week plus. And it's challenging. And we all hope, don't we? We all hope that it gets better. We all hope that things are going to change. But in the meantime, your hope gets stuck. It just gets stuck. I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's not like it's completely gone. It's just not going anywhere. That like every good thing that's possible just got that much harder. And you want change, but who knows when you're going to get it. Who knows, maybe if you get it, when things are going to shift again and really mess with you. There was once a letter um, that was written. Uh, it, it was written to a group of people who kind of understood some of the similar feelings that we all have been experiencing lately or personally been experiencing lately. They definitely got um, what it felt like to not have electricity because, well, at their time in history, it hadn't been invented yet. They got plagues. They understood that. They understood how plagues would sometimes wipe out entire cities with no advance warning. It's not like you knew it was happening. Bodies would just start piling up. Famine would strike. Trade on this, in this particular city because it was on a river and it was a trading port out to uh, the Mediterranean Sea. This particular city, trade would, would explode or, or dissipate and the city would uh, collapse because of it. And then when it came to faith and matters of faith, the people in this city that we're going to talk about today were in the vast minority. They were a small, tiny minority in this bustling city. Because most people, uh, most people worshipped the pagan gods. They worshipped specifically, because there was a temple in this particular city, the god of Artemis, who you might be actually familiar with. This was the context that we can actually kind of understand a little bit about as of late for a first century Roman city called Ephesus. 
And this particular city is right here. This is modern day Turkey. 2,000 years ago, there was this city uh, that was at the top of a river that led into the Mediterranean Sea, which is all the water you see. And there's this, this town of Ephesus. And a man named Paul of Tarsus wrote a letter to the Christians who lived in Ephesus. Specifically, he wrote to the church, which is just a small group of people who believed in the resurrection and put their faith in Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus and put their faith in Jesus. And so he would write letters. In fact, he wrote this letter specifically in the hopes of encouraging them and teaching them. Now, um, this man, Paul, grew up under different names, Saul of Tarsus. You may be familiar with him. And he was a very zealous Jewish leader. And he grew up under um, some pretty well-known teaching uh, where his particular teacher would write letters to other Jewish congregations and um, and to encourage them and to direct them. And then uh, in his life, uh, this uh, little sect called Christianity popped up. It wasn't even called Christianity at the time. It was called The Way at the time. And, um, and, and these followers of The Way were followers of Jesus. And as a zealous Jew, he wanted to get rid of the Christians because Christians were threatening the Jewish way of life. And they were claiming that they had uh, found the Jewish Messiah, which in Paul's mind was just absolutely incorrect. And so he went out and arrested Christians and essentially had many Christians put to death simply because of their faith. And then one day, Paul or Saul met Jesus and it changed his world. It changed his entire life. It gave him new direction. It gave him a new name, Paul, and it gave him a new hope. And he became a Christian and he started churches all over the Mediterranean rim. And I'm not sure if anything special or negative, more like, was happening in Ephesus at the time. But he wrote this letter, and in the first part of the letter, in what we know is chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul writes this encouraging slash teaching moment to the church. As if to say to the Christians there, and almost in a way to kind of say to us, I think, if you're losing hope, if you're stuck, if you need some encouragement, I want you to know that I, Paul, I pray. I pray. Paul, who at this point was more than likely in prison in Rome, which was not a positive experience. He was, in a, he was a prisoner in Rome. He had a lot of time on his hands. So these aren't hollow words. He certainly was praying. And then his words were very positive. So you know, he really meant them, especially given his situation. He said that I pray, I pray a very specific prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened or open in order that you may know the hope to which he, God, has called you. How how is your heart moved? How is your heart moved? Well, it sees something, right? Right? You see something that's moving. You see an encouraging story or a sad story and your heart is moved. And Paul says, I want your eyes, the eyes of your heart open. Why opened? Because I'm concerned, Paul says, and honestly, I, Taylor, am also concerned that our eyes are a bit closed right now. They're a bit closed to the hope to which God has called you and I. 
See, I think we are having this tendency lately to look at our life like this tub, okay? So I'm going to put that here in this tub. And this tub is full of things that your eyes are focusing on. More specifically, that you are trying to find hope in. For example, you're trying to find hope in the future, the, particularly a future relationship. That if you could potentially find this particular relationship, then everything else in your life would go better right? You'd find happiness. You'd find the security you desire. You'd find purpose that you desire. And so you're really hoping that this relationship's going to work out or that you'll find this relationship. Some of you are, are putting your hope in, um, in, in a future purchase, that if you could just buy this thing, this bigger something, then you would be happy. Some of you are putting your hope into um, the upcoming election. Isn't that true? Some of you are putting a lot of hope on the upcoming election, what, however it turns out. That's where you put your hope. Some of you are putting hope on um, your income. You're putting hope on an increase in income or a better job or just a job. Some of you are, are hoping for your kids um, to, you know, behavior improvement or to overcome something. Some of you are hoping um, for a better car because, you know, it may not only last just a few more months. Some of you, some of you have, uh, some of you have questions, you have questions for, for, um, that you're asking, and you're just hoping that whatever is rustling around your mind, your heart, that's kind of keeping you up a little bit at night, and you're really trying to figure out, you want the answer, and you're hoping it just pops into your lap. And so your hope is that this idea or the solution is just going to just show up one day. My friends, there's nothing inherently bad with any of this that fills the tub of your life? I mean, none of those topics are inherently bad. There's nothing wrong with them. They, in fact, I would say to you that they need your attention, but I don't think they need your hope. You see, there are many things, many things that need our attention, but aren't worthy of our hope. I want to say that again. There are many things that need our attention, focus, a little bit of our time, but they are not things that are worthy of our hope. Because when we hope for something, we put trust in that something. And when we put trust behind something, that's a really big deal. Because then when things like 2020 roll around and there's a season of challenge and hurt and pain, things don't go as planned and all the things that we hope for, all these things that are reasonable that we hope to uh, hope for fall apart or don't actually develop as we want to, our hope does what? Our hope becomes stuck. And it impacts us emotionally and negatively. We, we get angry because, listen, we trusted. We trusted that thing was going to work out. We put the time, the effort in, and then it didn't. And we get disappointed and we get angry and we get bitter. And it just affects us negatively. And so then we just turn to the next thing. And we try to find more things of hope. And we kind of act like this ping pong ball in a, in a way. And we just kind of fling ourselves into the tub of life and hope that we land on something that kind of holds us up or that we can cram enough stuff in that tub that, that we can hope in that it keeps us busy and distracted. It keeps us afloat. But then those things, 
fall apart, or they don't pan out, or they don't show up, and that things get messy, and we get lost, and we're trying to find the answer. We're trying to find something to hope in, but we're trying to find it in things that aren't worthy of our hope. Attention, yes, but hope, no. Paul says, Paul suggests to us that we consider that God is calling us, inviting us to, to experience the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That God is calling you to experience this. Consider God, creator of the universe, creator of stars and the earth and the air that we breathe, that God is going to give you an inheritance, a glorious inheritance. Imagine God, creator of the universe, giving a glorious inheritance. How much better do you think that inheritance would be than this tub of things that you've hoped for in your life? I mean, you don't even have to believe to just hypothetically consider how glorious the thing that God wants to give you could be. I'm not sure we can, but the one thing that I would propose to you is whatever it is, it is a lot better because I'm not sure I even fully understand what that means and the implications of all of that, but I would say it's a lot better than what I could come up with. He's saying, Paul's saying, I hope you will trust in that. Because when you do, when you choose to put your hope in that, my friends, it has this amazing effect. It's kind of like the Christmas gift effect. I don't know, maybe Christmases weren't a great time in in your family. I understand that. But um, when I was growing up, uh, getting gifts and, and, and going to the Christmas tree, Santa comes, you know, and there's all these gifts under the tree was like the coolest thing. And maybe some of you had to go to sleep and then wake up in the morning and then the gifts were there. Um, and so you just had a terrible time sleeping because you were just so excited to open your gifts. Um, we actually went to church service, uh, an afternoon church service. Then we came home and Santa had come and we had all the gifts. I could not focus on anything happening in the church service other than joy to the world at the end of the service. Because when joy to the world came, I was singing my heart out because joy to the world, the service was done. I could get home for my gifts. Okay. But the effect is what I want you to focus on. The effect of those, that prospect of getting home and seeing those gifts and opening those gifts was so overwhelming, that hope for what I was going to unwrap, that it didn't matter what happened in the service. The service could have been really weird for all I would have known. Didn't matter. They could have done a Christmas pageant. Not, I, the, you know, things could have fallen apart. It, didn't, it doesn't matter what even happened because I knew what would be waiting for me. Paul's saying that is possible for you now, that you could approach life with hoping in that. See, when you hope for that, it frees you up to do things like be generous because you don't put your hope in money and what money could buy. It frees you up from all the political upheaval 
and craziness. It's not, the, the politics of our country right now aren't going to stress you out. Why? Because you're trusting in a power that's so much greater. You're trusting in that inheritance. You're putting hope in that inheritance, not in a shift in political winds in a particular country. You begin to, when you hope in that inheritance, to take cues, not from the world around you, but from the God above you. And I get, if that concept is a little hard to believe, hard to wrap your mind around, I get that skepticism, I get that. And I think Paul did too, that's why Paul kind of continues and tries to make it even more specific. He says, this particular power, This power is the same as the mighty strength God exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Imagine the power it takes to raise someone who's been dead for three days back to life. Imagine if someone came to you and promised you that they would do that for you. Imagine sitting, watching YouTube or TV or Facebook watch or whatever, and you're, you're watching and the commercial comes up and the commercial, the commentator comes up and com- comes on and says, sign up right now, a hundred percent free after you die, when the world has been made right, when good prevails over evil in the world, we will raise you back to life to experience that goodness. A hundred percent free. All you got to do is hope. All you got to do is trust sounds pretty good. Honestly, it sounds too good to be true. If you imagine that scenario, I bet most of us, wherever we are in our faith journey, would have to stop and think to ourselves, I could see myself hoping in something like that. And then the second part of that commercial, God says, I will even, the second part of the commercial says, if you are skeptical, I want you to see that that actually took place that took place in the life of a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And many people saw it. Many people wrote about it. And they wrote how this man was crucified by the most powerful empire on the face of the planet at that time. And now he is alive and well in the heavenly realms. He is in charge. What a testimony. What an example. What a hope-worthy commercial. That that Jesus, love your neighbor, Jesus, died for me and you, Jesus, is in heaven. He's in heaven far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. That if you are concerned about the leadership in your company, you're concerned with the power system of our modern day political system or maybe the political system of of the country you reside in. Maybe you're concerned about the power structure in your homeowners association. He says, Jesus is above all that. And you can hope in that. So what you need to do, my friends, Paul's saying, you need to get yourself out of this tub And all the things that you're currently hoping in, all the things that you're putting your hope in, you need to see the tub and everything in it in its proper context. Because when you step out into the broader world, into the broader universe that your Father in heaven has created, you can breathe. 
It's not so stuffy out here than it is in here. All that stuff is still in here, okay? It's not going anywhere. It still demands a little bit of your attention for sure. I'm not saying that you need to not change your oil, okay? Remember, please change the oil in your car. You need to give attention to some things, but you need to keep all of it in the proper context, in the proper lens of Christ Jesus as the Lord of all and as of resurrection life everlasting. You need to keep it in perspective and you can get it out here because then you're stepping out and you're looking at all those things you hope for and you're realizing and seeing maybe a little bit better, maybe probably not fully at all, but you're maybe seeing a little bit better of the power that your father in heaven commands. And it makes everything else that you are hoping for small in comparison. Small in comparison. And it makes all the challenges that we experience, not just in 2020, but every day of our lives, it puts it, I hope, in a new lens, a new context for which we have the opportunity to put our faith in something that is everlasting. I hope that you realize, as messy as life is, putting your hope in the things of life will cause your life to be a bit of a roller coaster. As they fall away, as the things in your life blow away, or as things fall apart. But in Christian hope, in Christian hope, It's not about temporary desire. I think we get hope confused with desire sometimes. I desire something versus I hope. See, Christian hope is not a temporary desire. It is an eternal eternal certainty. Paul is trying to convince you that you can hope not in something temporary, but something that will, not, not in something that will even last just a few years, but not lo- that will last longer than your car, that will last longer than your promotion, that will last longer than your relationships, that will last longer than the people whom you even love right now, something eternal. Hope in that. Hope in God makes your life matter because there is something that comes after. There is an eternal life that comes after. Otherwise, we'd just be a blip in the cosmic time scale. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I get it, but then you need to assess if you're living in the tub or you're living as God, creator of the universe. Because that's how big he is. That's where you need to put your hope. To be able to say in the midst of challenges, to be able to say, I'm good. I'm good. I know things are hard. I know I don't have power right now. I know things aren't working out how I planned, but I'm good. Why? Because my hope is not in a matter of fate. My hope is of a promise. See, Christian hope is not a matter of fate, but of promise. To be able to say, maybe I didn't get the job. Maybe I didn't get the diagnosis I wanted. Maybe I didn't get the outcome I wanted or the life I dreamt that I wanted to have as a kid, but I'll be okay because I hope not in that, but in the promise of my father in heaven, of an eternal inheritance of his power and his resurrection power.
Howard Thurman um, is not a name most of us know. I didn't until I stumbled across it. He was a scholar uh, and a theologian and a civil rights activist, uh, many things. He lived in the 1800s. And he spoke on many topics. One of them that was particularly interesting that he spoke on was uh, African-American spirituals. And if you ever hear an African-American spiritual, it's pretty powerful. Um, it, It has a very clear message in the lyrics. And it has a very confident, often, rhythm to it and direction with it. Building and stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's just, it's so moving. Because this, this, often the, the lyrics have something to do with the world being made right, working for the good, and the power of God. And in his day, um, there were many people who took issue, took objection with these spirituals, saying that they were unrealistic, that, that the promise of justice, of reconciliation, of future, of heaven, often was spoken about or sung about too literally. And that if those people who were feeling oppressed, often African-Americans, those people who were in bondage to slavery when the songs were written, could on their own overcome the slavery that had in bondage them. That had they only just worked hard enough and, and fought for justice hard enough, that they as slaves would have somehow been able to, on their own, overcome slavery. And Howard Thurman, in response to that idea that all we just needed to do was, or, or all they needed to do was just to be a little louder and, and stronger and work harder, and they would be able to change social policies. Howard Thurman's response to that was to ask this question, or to invite people to imagine. He said, can you imagine telling slaves that when you die, you simply cease to exist? And our only real hope for a better life is in improved social policies. Could you imagine if you were a slave with no value, working tirelessly every day, being abused and mistreated and dehumanized? Would the the prospect, the hope of improved social policies be enough for you to get out of bed every day and face the slavery life that you have singing? Would you sing? About that? No. No, you see, these slaves, they sung about the hope of the new life God promised and showed in Christ through Christ's life, death, and resurrection of the inheritance of the holy people of God. That was worth singing about. That was worth getting out of bed for and enduring such dehumanizing experiences. My friends, we need to hope more. You need to hope more. I need to hope more. Hope more because you have more to hope for. We need to hope more because you have more to hope for. A promise 
a certainty of an all-powerful, loving Father in heaven. We need to step out of the cluttered tub that is all the things we hope for in life. We need to step out and see them for what they are so we can grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. We need to stop trying to fill our tubs with more things to hope for that will eventually fade away or be torn down by major storms and put our hope in the ever-present, ever-powerful God of the universe. That, my friends, will get you through 2020. That, my friends, is meant to get you through life and to life everlasting. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us all. To hear those words of Paul, maybe go back and read them all later on our own. To read those words, to hear those words, to say them out loud and to hope in them. To trust in them. Ultimately, to trust in you. To trust in your promise to us. to trust in your power that you use to resurrect those out of death and bring them to life. All because you love us. That is life-changing good news. We need good news. And not good news that will just be another page turned in a newspaper or story we flip through on social media. But news that guides our footsteps, our words, our hearts, and our lives. News that impacts not just us, but those around us, those we love, our children, those we care about, those we're friends with. Impacts our communities, ultimately impacts our world. Help us to take Paul's words, Paul's truth that he shared with us about you seriously. To wrestle with it if we need to wrestle with it, but ultimately to trust it. Trust it with our lives. Help us to take that step if we haven't already. To recommit to that step if we need to every day of our lives. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.